Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. The title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is very simply, Wake Up. Turn to the person to your right and say, Wake Up. Turn to the person on the other side and say, especially you, you too. Wake up. All right, well, uh, that is the title of my message. And you might wonder, well, Pascal, where do you get these titles? Well, I get the titles from the text. Uh, these words aren't necessarily there, but the theme is there. And uh, you, you might ask, where, where is there? Well, Acts chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 1. We're going to really focus on about 12 verses today from Acts chapter 20. I can't believe it. We're at Acts chapter 20, y'all. We started over a year ago uh, at the very beginning of Acts. And I didn't know if we'd make it this far, but here we are. Acts chapter 20. And so, so here's what I'm going to ask of you. Can y'all help me a little bit? Yeah. I want you all to, to, well, stick with me as I read the first six verses, okay? There's a lot going on in these six verses. I'm not going to preach and teach every detail here. There's a lot of movement and a lot of names here. So bear with me as I read this section of Scripture, and then I'm going to really teach through uh, verses 7 through 12. So will y'all, will y'all do your best to track with me here as I read this first part? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Acts chapter 20. Beginning in verse 1. Here is what Luke tells us. After the uproar ceased. Now hold on. What uproar? Well if you remember the uproar from last Sunday. That ensued because of Demetrius' complaining. And because of Paul's preaching. Remember Paul's preaching. Turned people away from idols. And Demetrius and other business owners were mad. Because people weren't buying their idols. Their their shrines. Their objects of worship if you will. Well. Finally, the uproar ceased, and Luke says, after it did, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said, farewell, and departed for Macedonia. Verse 2, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria... He decided to return through Macedonia. So we've got a lot of details going on here. Verse 4. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tachicus and Trophimus. Verse 5. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at where? Troas. That's where we're going to spend our time today. Verse 6. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now that's a mouthful, all of that. Let me, let me keep reading. Here's what happened next. And here's where we're going to spend our time. Uh, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, And I love this. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked. (laughs) This is great. Still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him. And taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. 
And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so he departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage, but, uh, you know, people who think the Bible is boring, I have to wonder, have you even read the Bible? Because how many of y'all know the Bible's full of life? The Bible's full of truth? And the Bible really is filled with humor. It really is. In my opinion, this is one of the most humorous stories, at least in the New Testament. Because here's the setting. We just read it, but let me, let me break it down a little bit further. So the day, the day is the first day of the week. So presumably at that time, this was Sunday. And so these believers were with Paul at Troas, and they are in the, the upper room of this house. Now, we don't know how big this upper room was, but obviously it was big enough to accommodate this group of Christians. And so here, here's the setting. The day was the first day of the week. The setting was the upper room. The time was, well, according to what we just read, it got really late. Uh, the episode we're going to really focus on happened at midnight. But here's what I want you to think about. Think of an upper room lit up with lamps. Oil lamps were burning. Paul, we're told, he talked. It doesn't say preach, but that's probably what was going on. Paul had a message for these Christians. And he talked on and on. Uh, in, in this version, uh, this ESV translation says that Paul prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, some of y'all think that I preach a long time. All right. He went on, I don't know when they started, but let's say even if he started at night, I mean, he went all the way, he went to midnight, and then and Luke even is careful to point out that Paul talked still longer, <laughs> okay? And so, upper room, lamps are burning, they're breaking bread, probably taking communion, the Lord's table together, just fellowshipping as believers. All of this is happening in the upper room, okay? Well, Paul talked on and on and on. And I guess most everyone there was receiving this word from Paul because this was an important moment. He was getting ready to leave the next day. And so their, their eyes and ears were opened and they're like, okay, this is an important moment. How many of y'all know if the Apostle Paul's in town, you should show up and listen to what he has to say? Well, most of them did, okay? But in this story, as we just read, there was one man in particular, and he's a young man. His name is Eutychus. Everybody say Eutychus. Eutychus's name means lucky or fortunate, which is the great irony of the story. Eutychus was one of the Christians in the upper room. Again, lamps burning, food being served, Paul's talking on and on and on. Well, Eutychus was, well, how do I describe this? Eutychus was like, well, my, my, my wife and I, Kelly, she's over here to my right. We've been married 18 years. Give, yes, give, yes. Thank you, baby. Thank you. You're amazing. 18 years we just celebrated. And um, so I, I thought about this carefully earlier because I don't want to overstate my case. I want to be very accurate here. Uh, in our 18 years of marriage, I can count on one hand the amount of times, baby, and I'm not throwing you under the bus. Just helps my cause here, okay? <laughs> on one hand, the times that she has started a movie, started a show, and actually finished in one sitting. Any other ladies have that problem or that grace on your life? It's like better than a sleeping pill for, for Kelly. And so she'll say regularly, uh, this is like a, almost a weekly thing. Uh, it's Friday, Saturday, whatever. She'll say, baby, I need you to go get the, the, the charger for the computer. And, and what does that imply? 
in her mind, she thinks she needs the charger because there's not enough battery in the computer to last long enough to watch the whole thing. Therefore, I have to go get the charger to make sure she's got enough power to watch the whole thing. In our 18 years of marriage, I can count five times, maybe, that she's actually started a show and finished a show. Just forget a movie, a one-hour show in one sitting. And inevitably, here's what happens. I, I get her all set up in bed. Am, am I telling the truth? I get you set up in bed, get the computer. I get the charger. She's got her little show she watches. And then she, she gets propped up there in bed. And, and then I, I, I get in bed beside her, and I've got my big nerdy book, whatever I'm reading. I have my phone. You know, I do this. So at night... Um, Turn out the lights, and I don't want to keep her up on it. So, um, so I, I do this. Can y'all see that? So, if you wonder what Pastor Scott's doing most nights about ten, I'm like this. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? It's so dorky, y'all. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to turn this thing. I'll leave it. Yeah. So I'm propped up in bed. I've got my phone, my glasses on, reading, and. It, I, Listen, it's about five minutes, five to seven minutes. Every time I look over and her eyes are going. And she'll, and I'll, and I'll look over and she'll see me. She'll kind of come too. It's normally about three times. She goes. The third time she's gone. I mean, she's gone. And, like, and I, it's, it's like clockwork. Every time I, I, I see that, I look over, I know when it's coming. The computer is still up, and I just I got my book, and I just shut the computer. <laughs> and it goes totally dark, and I continue my dorky reading plan. Well, listen, you fight so hard to stay awake, baby. One day you're going to do it. Come on, let's stretch your hand toward my wife. One day, baby, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Um, I want you to think of Eutychus, upper room, lamps burning, paused talking on and on and on, and his eyes, I think he fought to stay awake, <laughs> but bless his heart, he just couldn't do it. And he's sitting beside the window, and at this time in history, the, the windows were large openings from the floor up, pretty high, and there was like a large wooden we call it, you know, it would be like a door, but window that they would open to allow air to come in to get some fresh air in the room because the lamps were burning and they're all probably real close to one another. And so Eutychus was smart enough. He knew his proclivities. He knew his propensity to fall asleep at this time. Most people are asleep. So he goes over by the window. The window's open. Fresh air's coming in. The lights are on. The lamps are burning. Paul's preaching. He tried his best but Eutychus just could not stay awake. And we're told here in the text, this is just priceless. It says that he fell into a deep sleep. And not only did he fall into a deep sleep, but this guy fell out of the window three stories down, presumably fell and broke his neck. Now think about if you're the guy preaching or you're the guy teaching, how awful would you feel? Like if that were me, I'd be like, okay, let's end in prayer. I'll see y'all next Sunday. Good gosh, go call the ambulance. You know, let's take care of this guy. Well, Paul, Paul having this gift on his life, this grace on his life to see the sick recover and apparently the dead raised, he goes downstairs and we're told here, he says to, to the mom, he says, look, Eutychus is, yeah, he died, but don't be alarmed for the, the language is great. He says, for his life is in him. And we're told here that, that basically Paul raised this guy from the dead. 
Let me think about it. Like if you're the pastor in charge of that meeting, I don't know, I don't know what you would do, but I'd be like, okay, everybody go home. Praise God. Let's give God praise. You know, that's it. Well, we're told here that, that Paul raises him from the dead, but then goes back upstairs like a good Cajun. He eats and then he talks till daybreak. Like, I mean, this Paul, I mean, like, you can't take this guy anywhere, right? Well, well, I mean, Paul raises him from the dead. Now think about if you're Eutychus. Let's get in their shoes for just a second. Think if you're Eutychus. You just fell out of the window. You fell and broke your neck. Then Paul raises you from the dead. What would you get up and say to Paul? Paul, your preaching's killing me, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, literally. Are y'all tracking? Like, it's killing me. I told that joke to one of my sons yesterday. He said, Dad, that is the worst dad joke ever. I said, I know. I'm going to use it anyway. But are y'all getting the picture? Eutychus' name means fortunate. <laughs> On one hand, he was unfortunate because he fell out of this window. But he was fortunate in this sense that the Apostle Paul was there to raise him from the dead. How many of y'all know we are very fortunate to serve a gracious God so that even when we fall, we have a God who will raise us back up. Are y'all with me today? Like that'll preach right there. But, but here's what I want you to see. In this episode, it was late. It was very late. Or you could say early, depending upon how you're looking at the story in the time of day. It was late. Uh, it was the midnight hour. But, 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 but Eutychus fell asleep with the lamps burning and with Paul sharing some of the most important truths that a human being could ever hear. What did he share? I don't know in detail, but the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Spirit and he spoke the word, he preached the gospel, and those words that we have today that he wrote, of course, comprise a good portion of the New Testament. And we don't know in detail on this occasion what he said, but how many of y'all know it must have been very important? He's getting ready to leave the next day. Presumably everybody else stayed away, but there's one guy who just couldn't stay awake. He dozed off and you know the rest of the story. Now, before we're too quick to blame Eutychus or cast stones at him, how many of y'all know, perhaps we would have done the same thing. Let me ask you to, to raise your hand on this one. Raise your hand if you've ever gone to a, a Saints game. Let me see your hands. Let me see. Raise your hand if you've been to, to an LSU game of any kind. Let me see your hands. Okay, keep your hands up. LSU, Saints. Uh, okay, uh, any NFL game. Raise your hands. College sports of any kind. Okay. Raise your hand if you have ever fallen asleep at a game while sober. <laughs> now, I'm not saying Christians get drunk. I'm saying your previous life before Jesus. Okay, I'm going to make that clear. I'm not promoting drunkenness, of course. But, but have, you, have, you ever, have you ever fallen asleep at a Saints game or an LSU game or at any game like that? Even when they're at their worst, I mean, you might be, you know, saying some things under your breath or out loud about how poorly they're doing. But has anybody ever fallen asleep because you were so bored? All right. Well, let me ask you a quick, another question. Raise your hand if you've ever fallen asleep during a sermon. Well, let me keep asking questions. Raise your hand if you've ever. <laughs> I don't know if I want to know the answer. Raise your hand if you've ever fallen asleep while I'm preaching. Raise your hand or. Oh, Haley. Okay, Haley. All right. Anybody else bold enough, honest enough? 
All right, the Stellies, Ronnie and his wife raised their hand earlier. They are former members of Our Savior's Church. I've had to move them on. Um, raise your hand if you've ever fallen asleep while I'm preaching, okay, or anybody's preaching. Well, listen, um, if you fall asleep today in this message, you go straight to hell. There's no hope for you because we're talking about staying awake. I'm teasing with y'all. But listen, be honest with, with me. How many of you have ever fallen asleep while praying? Now, okay. Like you, you had the best of intentions, did you? You did. Like you really, you're going to seek the Lord. And you did for about 55 seconds. You know? <laughs> Raise your hand if, you, if you've done that and you, and, you, and you fell asleep and you started seeking the Lord in dreams and visions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, we laugh about these things. It, it happens to the best of us. But what I want to show you is that Eutychus fell asleep under Paul's preaching. And I'm about to show you that some disciples fell asleep with Jesus in close proximity to them. Let me make this clear. God in the flesh in close proximity to them. Now, they didn't have the full revelation or full understanding of who Jesus was, but they did. They saw Jesus perform miracles. They knew what he could do. They knew how important he was. But nonetheless, let's read this together. Look what happened. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 41. Then Jesus went, uh, went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and what? And pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he, a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying this, my father, if it be possible, let this cup, that is the cup of suffering, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them what? Sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one Hour, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is oh so what? Is weak. Now I want you to see and feel the importance of this. The disciples are in close proximity to Jesus. Jesus gave them a clear directive on what to do. This was so far the worst hour of Jesus' life. He alerted them to the, to the fact that he needed them to pray for their sake, that they would not fall into what? Into temptation. But what we see in this story is that's exactly what he found them doing. In the most important hour so far in Jesus' ministry, his own disciples, who I'm sure meant well in most situations, they are passed out sleeping. What a story. And I don't know all the reasons why they were asleep, but they were probably overwhelmed from the events of the day before. I'm sure they were drained because of everything that they had gone through. I'm sure that they were not told in great detail that the disciples had their own stresses in life outside of their walk with Jesus. There were pressures and issues in their relationships, I'm sure. And so they had every reason, I'm sure, to want to go to sleep. But here's Jesus saying, listen, pray, stay awake. 
Stay awake and do so. He's saying for your sake, so you will not fall into temptation. And as I was thinking about the story in Eutychus and what it means for us, let me just be honest with you today. Here is what I see in the church overall. Yes, there are exceptions to this, but here is what I see. Jesus has asked us to pray so that we will not fall into temptation. But unfortunately, many Christians have simply dozed off and are asleep. And I don't mean physically. Okay, listen, some of you falling asleep while praying. Okay, that's one thing. How many of y'all know you can be physically awake, but spiritually asleep? You can be in here right now. You had your coffee earlier and you're here wide, you know, eyes wide open and you're tracking with me and you're here and you feel a lot. You can be here physically awake, but in your heart, in your spiritual life, be asleep. What does America need? Well, where do we start? Let me start in the right place. Jesus. What do we need? What does the church need? We need the same thing the world needs. We need Jesus. And we need to be awakened to the reality of who God is and his call that's on our lives. Not just my job, my role, but yours as well to be ambassadors for Jesus, disciples of Jesus who stand flat footed in a very dark world to proclaim the truth of his word and not just to proclaim it, but to live it. Unfortunately, Many Christians are too drained. They're too tired to even begin to think about that. And therefore, we wonder why so many are falling into temptation. Could it be because they're not having adequate visitation time with the Lord? Listen, if you spend time with the Lord regularly, it's very, very difficult to fall into sin. Every person who has fallen into sin publicly already fell from the relationship with Jesus privately. That's where all, it's where it always starts, privately. And Jesus is asking the church today, his bride, can you not tarry with me an hour? And not to condemn you, but it's a question for us. Can we not tarry an hour? And the answer in many cases is no, because in many cases, we are absolutely drained. We are absolutely exhausted. As a matter of fact, in my years of being a pastor, I have never seen people so tired and exhausted like they are now. It seems like there's this just heavy hand of oppression against the church. And listen carefully. If you're taking notes, write this down because this is a big truth. The devil does everything he can to deceive you. Y'all know that from scripture, don't you? He is the deceiver. He's a murderer. He's many other awful things, but he is a deceiver. And if the devil cannot deceive you, he will do everything in his power to drain you. And a drained church is a defeated church. And you, you can love God and know scriptures to quote and do all the right things externally. But if your heart and your soul, if your spirit, so to speak, if, if you are asleep spiritually, what you will find is that you're just going through the motions and perhaps just being religious. Yeah. 
How many of y'all know we need another awakening in America? There was the first great awakening, 18th century, the second great awakening, other awakenings. How many of y'all know we, forget the world, we need, I need, we need another awakening. And how many of y'all know we, like you, because we are fortunate enough to serve a God, a gracious God, who if we call upon his name, repent of our sins, confess them and turn to him, he will raise us from the dead. And he's waiting on a group of people who will just petition him and ask him. And if we'll get serious with him, we will be the giant that he's called us to be. You say, well, giant, what are you talking about? Well, there's a... An incredible preacher. He, he is, uh, I think he died several decades ago, but his name is Leonard Ravenhill. And he wrote this piece that I want to share with you. Uh, and the title is this Today's Sleeping Giant. L- listen carefully to, to, to what he says. And I quote Solemnly and slowly, with his index finger extended, Napoleon Bonaparte outlined a great stretch of country on a map of the world. There, he growled is a sleeping giant. Let him sleep. If he wakes, he will shake the world. Ravenhill continues, that sleeping giant was China. Today, Bonaparte's prophecy of some 150 years ago makes sense. Written, of course, by Ravenhill in his own time. But listen to what he continues to say. Today, Lucifer is probably surveying the church just as Bonaparte did China. One can almost behold the fear in his eyes as he thinks of the church's unmeasured potential and growls. Let the church sleep. If she wakes, she will shake the world. If we wake, we will shake the world. If you awake, you will shake your world. If we awake, as the church awakens, then we will send shockwaves by the power of the Holy Spirit through our neighborhoods, through our communities, through this state, and through this nation. If we are awakened to the hope of our calling, if we are awakened and we get out of our our slumber and out of our lethargy and out of the, the sleepy state we've been in while culture goes to hell, if we'll wake up, we are God's solution to the problems that we read about every day on the front page. And I don't mean you alone, I mean Christ in you. We as disciples called to be salt and light in culture. Am I preaching to the right people? If we awaken to the hope, the great calling that we have in Christ, if we will awaken to all the promises of God that are not yes and maybe, but yes and amen. If we will awaken to the power of God living in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can go forth. And we can cast out devils and we can pray for the sick and we can proclaim the gospel and we can pray for one another. And more than anything, we can love one another as Christ has loved us. And we'll be a sign and a wonder to the dead, decaying world that we live in. If we will awaken to that, watch out, devil. Let the church sleep. He says, Lucifer says, if she wakes, she will shake the world. Boy, I felt that. If we awake. But it's so easy to just hear this 
go back to the regular routines of life, which for many of us, let's get practical, drain us. And we don't have often the energy we need to do what God's asked us to do because, let's be honest, you don't have to raise your hand. Many of us are just tired. Raise your hand recently. And I'm not talking about like at the end of the day, you should be tired. Men, you should work so hard. Ladies too, by the end of the day, you're so tired, you're ready to go to sleep. My wife's a great example of that. <laughs> but I'm talking about there's not enough coffee that can awaken you because you are, you're so tired. Like you get up, but you're spiritually asleep. How many of you are honest, uh, honest enough to admit that you feel the oppression of culture, the oppression of the devil, oppression on you, and it's just heavy, it's made you tired, and it's slow, it makes it slower, harder for you to get to church. You just barely get up and... Let me ask you a question. Has trouble made you tired? Has the weight of the world made you weary? Has sin made you sleepy? Has life sucked the life out of you? If the answer is yes to any of those questions, then I promise you, you're not alone. It's like 2020 came around, somebody flipped the switch, and everything just kind of fell apart, huh? <laughs> like, wow. And of course, the world was always had its challenges, thank you Adam and Eve, uh, for a long time. But I meet with people regularly who are great people and they love God. But they're asleep, spiritually. Just out of it. There are a lot of different reasons why that's the case. Now as I was writing this message, my first my, my first big aim is I want you to know what the text means. Like, what's the story all about? I want you to understand the text. But I'm also here to bring application to your life so that you can just, you know, I don't want you to just hear about Eutychus and then go home and be like, okay, great story. I want to bring some application to your life. So let me give you a few things that I think will help you. And sometimes we can get so super spiritual that we are oblivious to the obvious. So let me start out what should be obvious, but oftentimes isn't. First of all, what's the solution if you're worn out? Well, this list isn't exhaustive, but I think it might help some of you. First of all, if you're taking notes, write this down. Make sure you are living a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. What does that mean? Go to bed. Give me something deep. Go to bed. Go to bed at a reasonable time. How many of y'all know you can't stay up till one in the morning watching reruns on Netflix and get up the next morning and say, thus saith the Lord, with any authority? You say, well, that's not my problem. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is for you. Listen, I, I get it. I mean, like, I've had trouble this last, what, four months? I've had trouble sleeping. It started with my dad. Remember my dad getting real sick? Or wake up, inevitably. One, three, five. Okay. Then I need to go back to sleep an hour to get up to function for the day. I, I, I need my sleep. I do a lot. My brain is always involved. I'm a professor. I'm a pastor. I've got to keep things together. <laughs> Four kids and a very low-maintenance wife. Thank you, baby. Amen. 
She's easy. But you know, what do they tell you when you're younger? If you can't sleep, count what? Don't ever tell me that. Because listen, there are times when I, I can't sleep because I'm counting you, the sheep. Who was there? Who wasn't there? Who, who, what text message do I need to return? Um, who do I need to minister to? What loose end needs to be tied up? Who needs the devil cast out? Who needs the gospel? Who needs counseling? I'm thinking, oh, I haven't seen that person in a while. I hope the devil didn't get that. I'm thinking about these things oftentimes at one in the morning, sometimes before bed, throughout the day. So would you please pray for me? Because sometimes people think preachers, we just show up on Sundays and dump our message and we're off to play golf. I promise you I'm not playing golf because I want to stay sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm so bad. I don't want to grieve the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Listen to me. Will you pray for me? There are times my wife will tell you it's very difficult for me to sleep all the way through. Whatever the reason is for you, I'm going to pray here in a few minutes if you're having trouble sleeping, that the Lord would grant you sleep. And not just sleep, rest. True rest. I want to challenge you. Do everything you can to get enough sleep. I want to challenge you. If you are out of shape, do everything you can to get in shape. If you need to join Reds or a gym somewhere around here, or just walk three to five times a week, 30 minutes at a time. You know, in, in, in my earlier days, younger days, I worked out because I was vain. Now I work out because I want to live a long time and serve the Lord with all that I have and live a healthy life for His glory, for His glory and the good of my family. Are y'all tracking? Drink water, not Dr. Pepper all day. Eat as healthy as you can. Hold your stones, Cajuns. Come on, we can eat. We have our moments. We, we, we do our thing and we splurge. But eat a healthy have a healthy diet, as healthy as you can. I'm not trying to set any records. I'm not saying you have to be fitness gurus. I'm just saying, do everything you can. Put things in your body that give you energy, that give you life, so that you can serve God and hopefully live a long time doing so. Are y'all with me? Y'all still like me? I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to condemn anybody if you're out of shape. I've been there before. Get up and walk. Drink water. Eat healthy. I promise you, sometimes that can be the cure to our spiritual and emotional lethargy. Let me say one more thing about that. Look in your life, and if there, whatever is coming in, if it's social media, if it's the news, cut the, the cord, pull the plug on anything that's coming into you that is creating oppression, weariness, and tiredness. Listen, I'm on Facebook. Well, I mean, I'm not now, but I have a Facebook account. And I just pulled the plug because I am so sick of watching Christians fight on Facebook. I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm taking a break. It's bothering me. I'm so in the people I run with, I have 4,900 friends, probably a thousand of them are theologians and pastors. And I'm like, y'all, they're all fighting in front of the world. I'm like, y'all are draining me. And other Christians too. I did, I'm done for a while. So I'm with you. Whatever it is that's draining you, that's causing weariness. Because a lot of times we don't even need the devil. It's our own poor choices that can drain us. My name is Pastor Scott, and I'm always your 
Boy, two people know that for the rest of you. I'm y'all's friends too. All right, let me move on. Let me get out of that hole. Uh, Next. Next. Watch this. We're almost done. Take, (laughs) Take your guilt trips straight to the cross. Take your guilt trips straight to Calvary. Say, what do you mean? You can get enough sleep every night, eat healthy, do all the right other things. But if you're living in sin, unconfessed sin, there is a weariness that you will feel. And that is a gift from the Lord. Because woe Woe is us if we can never go to sin, practice sin, live in sin, and not feel the effects of sin. How many of y'all know that's a gift from the Lord? If you're living in sin, if you have not repented of your sin, and it's not just I repented, but repenting regularly for whatever's in your life that may be out of bounds. It could be an attitude, an action, whatever that is. There's a guilt that we rightly feel when we sin. And let me explain that. A lot of times today, people are writing about how we shouldn't feel shame. We shouldn't feel guilt. Someone said, Pastor Scott, I feel so guilty. And if you listen to people who say that, they'll tell you their story. And I look at them, I'm like, well, you feel that way because you are. Okay, I know this is so countercultural, but that's why I like to preach it. When you sin, you should feel the conviction of that sin. You should know in that moment, you're guilty if you've sinned. But here's the problem. Feel it. Own it. And quickly take it to the cross as fast as you can. And it's at the cross where you find forgiveness When you sin, you are guilty. And the devil puts shame on you. But Jesus died to take the shame off you. And so you should feel guilty initially. But you should not, if you've repented, feel guilty perpetually. If you are a Christian who has has repented and you are repenting of your sins, you're going to the cross then that means that the weight of all of that is taken off you and it's put on Jesus. You can't carry it. He'll carry it for you. You can't pay for it. He paid for it for you. And when you repent and turn to him, he takes your shame and guilt and exchanges and he gives you his joy, his righteousness, his peace. David says it this way in Psalm 32 verses three through five. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Verse 4, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Notice it wasn't the devil's hand. God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Isn't that powerful? No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you have unrepentant sin from your recent past or distant past, keep short accounts with the Lord. Go to Him daily. Lord, I'm sorry. God, I'm bringing this to you. Jesus, 
I'm giving this to you. I'm so sorry. And when you repent, you confess. He lifts that weight off you so you can go and sin no more. Take your guilt trips straight to Calvary. Get there as fast as you can. Number three, commit it. Commit it to prayer before you commit. What do you mean? I mean this. Before you say yes to certain things, before you post about it, that great opportunity, pray about it. I just turned down a really good opportunity, a writing deal. Someone from a European university asked me to write a chapter in a very prestigious deal. And it was like, seriously, Cobus, you know the thing I'm talking about? It was like the honor of a lifetime to be asked to write this chapter. And I prayed and I looked at my life and I looked at all that I'm responsible for. And I wrote the guy back. I said, I am so sorry, but there's just no way I can do this. Now, could I have done it? I could have. But just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And I know what you think about it. Maybe you know what other people think about it. But isn't it true sometimes... That example aside, sometimes we get locked into commitments to impress people we barely know or in some cases don't even like. And then our energy is drained because we've committed to the things the Lord doesn't want us to commit to. And we're drained because of that and therefore we have no energy left for Him. You see how this works? Oh, the devil is so sly. We have to work on this parents because it's easy to let your kids get involved sign them up for this sign them up for that and all of our kids are going to play one sport and we're going to push them to do well in school if they hate the sport they're going to play it anyway because it's good to build team it's good for them to learn on a team but we've had to work on this over the years we haven't perfected this but it's not a war we win it's a battle we fight to make sure that we're not overcommitting our kids just to keep them busy doing things. Because my aim is not to get Karsten to Harvard. My aim is to get Karsten through the gospel to heaven. And I'm going to do whatever I can. I, I can't save him, but we are doing our best. We've got some areas to improve. We're doing our best to, to do that with him. We're saying, can't do this, can't do this, can't be a lifeguard 16 hours a day, Carson. The place isn't even open that long in the pool. He's, one of the life, he's a lifeguard at, at Reds. If you see him, give him a high five. He's got this new freedom on his life and he's doing great. But listen, it's a challenge because there are so many options. Be careful what you commit to. Because when you say yes to something, by necessity, you're saying no to something else. Does that make sense? Y'all sleep? If you, if you fall asleep on a message on staying awake, there's another campus for you. <laughs> I'm almost done. Check, 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 check this out. Take breaks and go on vacation, but never, ever, ever take breaks from God. Because listen, a break from God 
may end up breaking you. And I know what some people mean. Man, I've been serving in the church. I'm just worn out. I get it. You, you probably need to take, I mean, if you've been serving on the serve team here, the dream team, there are, there's a time to, to take a break. And I'm going to be the first to get behind that and say, listen, just come and sit and enjoy. And enjoy. But some people, they don't say it out loud, but they, they mean, I'm, I'm just going to take a break. I mean, I'm reading my Bible and I'm going to Midtown. And I just need to chill. I just need to chill. I get it. But as believers, we, we must rest in Him, in Jesus, but never from Him. Do you understand the distinction? We rest in Him. We don't take breaks from Him. Because it was when we were at the beach, um, was that Pensacola? 20, was that 2020? I'm out on the raft. She had the kids. I'm like, ah, 10 minutes by myself. I got out on the float, went out maybe 50 yards in the ocean. <laughs> and I just closed my eyes. <laughs> it was so nice. I love the beach. You might love the beach. Like if I, if I were a pagan, I'd worship the sun. <laughs> love the sun. And I'm out there on that float and closed my eyes. And I don't know how long it was, but when I, when I opened them, I'd been pushed back to where I started makes sense in the ocean, right? And I thought about it, though as silly and as simple as that is, that's what happens to believers. If we close our eyes and rest from the Lord for even a few moments, how many of y'all know there is a current in culture? There's the nastiness of the culture, the ways of culture that's a current that I promise you is not pushing you toward Jesus, it's pushing you away from Him. And we come out of the womb, thanks to Adam and Eve, we're already bent this way, we're already bent toward not serving God, and then you take a little break from serving God, even with the Word and the Spirit, watch how far you will drift if you're not careful. We rest perpetually in Him, but never ever from Him. There's some people who took a break from Jesus back in 2020. And to this day, they're not serving the Lord. Why? Because of their own sinful desires, the flesh, and then the current of the world has pushed them completely away from God and his church. And how many of y'all know a drained, drifted church is a defeated church. If you let yourself drift, you will be defeated and it will happen so subtly so quickly. I see this happen over and over again. Be on guard. Keep your eyes open. Don't drift. Are you getting my drift? <laughs> Lastly, and most importantly, true rest isn't found in a bed or on vacation. True rest is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. He's the only one who can give you, I'm, I'm talking about rest for your soul. Rest from striving. Rest from having to prove yourself. 
rest from having to defend yourself. I don't need to defend myself because the Lord is the one who goes before me and he is my rear guard and he surrounds the people of God. He encamps around those who fear him and he delivers us. You don't deliver yourself. He delivers you. But there's a rest. And it's so easy when we're really tired for some to go to sleep and rest. Why is it difficult spiritually for us to do the same? When Jesus is saying, come to me, I'll give you rest. Why the fight? (laughs) Why the resistance? Could it be because of our pride? Could it be because of our own determination to do things our own way? Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, he says this, come to me. Receive this as Jesus is speaking, as, as though he were speaking directly to you. All who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you, Jesus, for that reminder. Jesus is saying to us today, to his church, come. All you who were worn out, Physically, spiritually, emotionally, you're tired because of the cancer. You're tired because of that strained child. You're tired because you've been in sin. You're tired because you can't sleep at night. You're tired because of your striving. It doesn't matter why you're tired. Jesus says, come. Isn't that awesome? And it's not just come. He says, I will give you rest. And that was written in the first century. But how many of y'all know it still applies today? How many of y'all know the risen Christ is issuing these same words to us today? And there's a promise there. But there's a promise that we have to believe and receive. Let me ask you a question. Are you worn out? Do you need some rest? Right now I'm going to pray for you if you do. I want you to close your eyes with me right now. If you're here, you say, Pastor Scott, yes, 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 and yes. In this attitude of prayer, I just want you to slip up your hand right now and say, Pastor Scott, would you pray for me? All across this place, if you're worn, you are worn out. Just lift up your hand right now to the Lord as a sign of surrender. Spirit, He is here with us. And I just sense right now, as as I have my eyes closed, I'm picturing you with your hands lifted. It's like you are taking the weight that you've been carrying, 
the weariness. And with your hands lifted, if you'll just take it symbolically, lift it, lift your hands and symbolically, you're just giving it to Jesus. (laughs) He said, I'll take it. Don't carry it any longer. Don't take it any longer. It's going to wear you out. Right now, Lord Jesus, we lift our hands and we give you everything. With your hands lifted right now, if you want to meet with God in this place, I'm going to ask you right now, I want you to come get out of your seat and I want you to stand right up here at the front with me. I want you to come up here. Just stand up here and I want the prayer team to come. And if you're, if you're weary and you're heavy laden and you're worn out and you just need rest in Him, if you need a miracle today, if you need God to awaken you today, I want you just to get out of your seats and I want you to come stand here at the front. We have uh, Ms. Sonia, Mr. Brett, the prayer team. Just come on down, everybody, if you need a touch from the Lord today. There's nothing special about this part of the church building. It's just your willingness just to come and lift your hands and say, Lord, we surrender, God. We surrender. So come on, if you need a touch from the Lord today, the band's up. They're going to lead us. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to unload today in the presence of God. Come on down if you're you're here today and you see a need that so desperately. Marriage has worn you out. The problems of marriage have drained you. If your financial situation has drained you, 